it's a positive film it has heroes and villains and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch it's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward wholesome fun adventure well it's a fantasy it's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy and it's about people it's about fine it's finally about people and not finally about science the story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto it's the stuff that fairy tales are made of sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and are dead. But, you know, no horrors. There's some wonderful freshness about it, kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's, a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention of it. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker and the latest episode of Those Old Fossils. This is a Halloween special, so a bit of a different show. Wow, I have got a team that would not need masks on Halloween. I've got <laughs> Mark Daniels with me. Good evening, Mark. Speak for yourself, mate. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, Craig Spivey. Good evening, Craig. Hello, hello. And uh, joining us as a special guest tonight, we've got Mark Hockley. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, buddy. How you doing? I'm all good, mate. How are you? Still uh, heavily involved in Star Wars? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm still still looking at loads of it. There's still a lot here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all good, mate. Still tagging me in every time you have a sales post, you just tag me in it. Yeah, it's your sales like... post, and then I notice my name's <laughs> tagged below. As you know, I always like to try and sell you something whenever I see you, and I haven't seen you for some time, so now I have to try and sell you stuff remotely. Halloween, boys. I mean, growing up, obviously, Halloween wasn't as big a thing as it is now over here. But did you all, all celebrate? You, all three of you are, are slightly older than me. Did you all celebrate Halloween as kids? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely did. I, I grew up in uh, in rural Lincolnshire and um, it's all a little bit kind of pagan. Um, so it wasn't the, the, the sort of glossy Americanized Halloween that we have now. We used to carve um, mangle wurzels. For those who don't know what mangle wurzel is, they're like big kind of turnipy things that they used to grow to feed um, feed livestock. And you would hack at those, and they would take ages to hollow out. It's not like scooping a pumpkin out. But we would make, uh, yeah, make little jack o' lanterns out of those things, and they're just hideous and scary. And um, <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to love. I'll have to find some pictures uh, and put them out online. Uh, but yeah, hollowed out mangle wurzels made into jack o' lanterns. You'll never sleep again. Mangle wurzels. <laughs> never heard of them. So <laughs> education like tonight. I did. I did think actually, Craig, that you were the one person that had done it because I think. In a previous episode, we discussed a Halloween picture or a dress-up 
it was you, wasn't it? Where, it was, um, yeah. My dad, my dad dressed up as C-3PO in, um, yeah, it would have been about 78, very homemade C-3PO costume, and then R2-D2 made out of a twin tub washing drum and uh, a space hopper, which he painted up to look like R2-D2, and then they paraded him through the village, burnt him in a wicker man. <laughs> Fantastic. Come to crawl, great. <laughs> what about you two? Halloween mean anything as kids? I was probably one of the first lads in our sort of area that used to go trick or treating because up until then, we'd never had it before. I remember knocking on people's doors and them looking at me with this mask on saying trick or treat. Well, what, what the hell is that? And I'm talking about like Stoke-on-Trent in the uh, sort of the 80s. And uh, people just were like, no. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> but the following year, or the following couple of years, it, it sort of twig, twigged on. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a strange thing, really. Halloween at the time, because um, obviously seeing ET, the trick or two, I thought, oh, let, let, let's do something like that. So um, yeah, we tried it, and of course nobody nobody did, heard of it in Stoke <laughs> up until that point. It was uh, it was good fun. I think ET was a bit of a catalyst for that sort of trick or treating in this country generally, actually, because we had American neighbours, so they got us into a lot of sort of American traditions like um, bubble gum and uh, all the American sweets and Kool Aid and all that kind of stuff. And um, and trick or treating was, by, I think, by 1982. I think that was probably the first year when I was about just turned nine. I think that was the first year that we were, had trick or treating in our street, and we only went around the houses in our street or our end of the close, really. But I think it was our American neighbours, the Pauldons, that actually kind of sort of got us all on side and sort of talked us into it all and uh, had us um, celebrating Halloween. It was great. Yeah, I've got quite fond memories of it, actually. And, and you know, getting the pumpkins and carving those out. And if you couldn't, because you couldn't even always get pumpkins. We didn't have mango wurzels either. I never heard that word. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and all of it sounds like that. something out of Harry Potter, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But then we didn't have wicker men either. Um, <laughs> But we'd have like Swedes or something, you know, get a Swede and hollow that out. And um, but yeah. I'm I'm well into it now. I mean, we've already had made homemade pumpkin pie here at home, and I did a Mandalorian pumpkin, uh, the Baby Yoda Mandalorian pumpkin the other day. Yeah, it's great fun. Well into it all, and and uh, it's a great tradition. I think this is one year, another thing that 2020 is going to rob us of celebrating this year. But still, I think the spirit will still be alive next year, and we'll come back to it as a tradition. What about yeah. you, Stu. Actually, it's, it's funny. Mark just said he had American neighbours. I, I lived in a little cul-de-sac, and there was a lot of uh, lot of kids down there. And we had um, one neighbour was Canadian, and much the same. She used to actually have a, a Halloween party around the house where we would go and do all the older little games and things, and and dress up around there. So yeah, I can. My mum and dad were never keen on Halloween, and I can remember um, one of my neighbours knocking on the door, going, "Oh, do you want to come up trick or treating?" And me just going out, and then my mum coming out and finding me, and then making me take everything back to every house. <laughs> yeah. Some were like, no, keep it. I was like, no, my mum's going to kill me if I go back with this. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she seems to have not mind the grandchildren doing it. So she's obviously uh, eased. It's mellowed. Mellowed with yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mellowed towards Halloween. Right. So we did say it was going to be a slightly different, um, different show. We're not going to have lots of topics and stuff. I'm handing over to Craig now because, Craig, you came up with quite a, quite a fun and interesting way of... Uh, going forward with the show tonight so you are going to be our our anchor throughout the middle of the show so um over to you my dear friend thank you very much talking of halloween and thinking about halloween and scary stories for me there's always been this element within star wars that's that's put me in mind of of kind of that genre and it's it's the sort of link to the famous hg wells book and subsequent movie adaptations 
at the island of Dr. Moreau, which some of you may be familiar with. You may have seen the film, you may be familiar with the book. It was written in 1896. So it's a very, very early kind of science fiction horror story. And it tells the tale of a guy, Edward Prendick, who is shipwrecked, rescued by a passing boat and is left on the island home of a chap called Dr. Moreau. And he's like this mad scientist who creates kind of human-like hybrids, experimenting on animals uh, and creates all these kind of first to his children. And when it was written, it was written as a comment on polite Victorian society. Um, and there are a lot of kind of aspects around the nature of Christianity and the beast that lies within every man. So it's a pretty deep piece of work, but we're not really kind of here tonight to discuss any religious allegories. We're here for the monsters. So has anyone seen any of the films? There was, there's been three film adaptations through the years. The first one was 1932. Uh, it starred Charles Lawton and Bella Lugosi was in it, playing one of the creatures. Uh, there was a film released in 1977, obviously the same year as the first Star Wars movie. And that featured Burt Lancaster um, in the title role, but also Michael York. And more recently, uh, in the 90s, 96, there was a film uh, released that starred Marlon Brando in the role of Dr. Moreau. Super bonkers performance. Uh, absolutely panto. And uh, and featured uh, Davy Thewlis as the protagonist. So has anyone seen any of those films, read the book, have any knowledge of this property at all? I remember that I saw the, the last one, the 96 Marlon Brando. Was Val Kilmer in that as well? He was, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one I remember seeing, and it was bonkers. I think it was Marlon Brando's last film as well, or one of his last films. Yeah, it was it was particularly crazy, but I remember enjoying it. Stuart, yeah. I know you've watched it recently. What did you think? I watched it on Monday when we were originally going to record. It is now Thursday, so a couple of days before Halloween. But yeah, yeah, I thought, oh, you know, pottering around, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put it on while I'm pottering it around. And um, it was batshit crazy, I thought. But... <laughs> I did get to the end of it, and I was like, what have I just watched? And then I thought, actually, I quite enjoyed it, especially seeing a, a young Django Fett knocking around in it as well. Interesting to see. Did you recognise him straight away, or did you see his type, name come up in the titles? I, well, actually, I was um, I was just looking on IMDb while it was on, and I noticed he was in it. And then, <laughs> and then when I looked at the kind of ape-like creature he was, you could then really see that it was him. Yeah, interesting. Interesting uh, movie. There's, a, there's another Star Wars actor credited, the Bradley Baker, obviously voiced characters in Clone Wars, and he was he was credited. I couldn't find exactly who um, who he was voicing, but he's he was renowned for lots of animal style vocalizations. Presumably, he was going <laughs> grunting and howling in in the uh, in the Foley studio, perhaps. Mark, have you you seen this? No, I've not seen any of the uh, adaptations. Uh... Craig, uh, but it does sound like very much like uh, Disney's Black Hole took some key themes from uh, the films. Uh, that's for sure. Mad scientist and and a and a mysterious uh, crew of uh, humans of dubious origin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. All, all well and good. What's this got to do with Star Wars? I am thinking, of course, of George Lucas's fascination in creating alien races by taking very earthbound animals and uh, through his creativity and through the medium of his art, uh, turning them into human-like beasts. So looking at things in that kind of rather grim context, I thought it would be fun uh, in a halloween way to just explore this 
kind of reimagining George Lucas as this mad scientist surrounded by these creations. I know what I'll do. I'll take a walrus and I'll take his head and I'll put it on a man. That kind of thing. So this idea around the island of Dr. Modesto. And for those who don't realise why Modesto, that's where he grew up, town in California. So it kind of works. Begins with an M and ends in an O. So why not? As part of tonight, I know I've asked you all to look at some of the obvious examples of this phenomenon. And we're going to discuss that a bit later on. Stuart, you're going to talk about Walrus Mania. Oh, yes. Mark, Yakface, and Mark with a C, the Gamorian or Gamorian guard. And we'll uh, read that pronunciation as well. <laughs> Jez, who uh, isn't with us tonight, has let the team down massively. He was going to cover Squidhead. And I know that he was busy researching what number Tops card Squidhead appeared on, um, but we won't have that detail. But between us, I think we know enough. So we'll uh, we'll roll with that. So we'll come to each one of those. But I think first we need to sort of discuss this idea of kind of animal, human, head swapping techniques of creating aliens. So, I mean, what do we what do we think? Am I onto something here? Have I got a point? Do you think that that way of creating aliens works? Do we think it was a good idea at the time? You know, does grounding a species in the look of a familiar animal help us relate to it? I mean, George Lucas was all about this used universe. So rather than being Greedo-style bug-eyed monsters, does having this connection in earthbound creatures help us kind of go, yeah, I kind of, I, I can... I can transpose some of what I know about a squid onto that character or whatever. They're, they're slimy and a bit and a bit slippery. Or is it just flat out silly? Did we think that at the time? Have we learned to accept it? Do we see beyond think, it now? What do we what do we think? I think it really helps spark your imagination when you're watching it, especially in the first Star Wars film, like the cantina scene particularly. You've got so many different types of creatures there. You just know that you're following one story that's passed through. In any given corner of that room, there's another story. And, and that was... a brilliant thing about star wars and it's sparking our imagination and and then when we bought the toys we could have all those other stories sure you, you start off buying the, the figures of the heroes but once you start getting into the, the aliens and and you know the creature cantina kind of scene then you just kind of have your own little adventures and it, and it just went off from there i think that's why some of us were still playing with these things when we were 15 and some of us are still paying out silly money from when we we're in our 40s you know it's just uh it's just that imagination that it spiked and i think having it kind of anchored partly in reality kind of gave us that familiarity with it or that access point you know to kind of uh that jumping off point with our imaginations i i, I would i would agree with that Stuart, do you have a view it's not an uncommon thing is it when you go back to old movers to see a, a creature on two legs i mean I'm now trying to think of an example, but... Yeah, because you, you've got Medusa and things like that. Yes, and Clash of the Titans yeah. was, what, yeah. 1981, so after, after Star Wars. But Clash of the Titans is, is a prime... Yeah, it's a great example. There is there is half-creature-type things in that, but there is that kind of old thing. I'm, I think you've got in the in the show notes, Flash Gordon, we have it as well, don't we, um, Craig? So, yeah, I mean, George wanted to remake it, didn't he? So we had the Lion Men and the Lizard Men, and, and, and maybe that was an influence. I don't know. Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I think it um, relates to him, you know. Uh, I'm not being funny, but how many people look like Warus Man that we know? <laughs> I mean, Jez, Jez and Cy can't be here tonight, but they <laughs> spring straight to mind. Paint them green and there you go. Yeah, I think uh, Star Wars uh, had the balance pretty good, to be honest with you, because they've got that, that sort of Marvel-esque approach where you take an animal and add the word man to it. So Spider-Man, Batman, you know, th th that kind of 
approach and they mixed it with some really innovative imaginative uh, alien type things like um the hammerhead alien i mean that, that was just straight you know, it's vaguely based on a hammerhead shark but it's still very very strange looking isn't it and um, there's a couple of other aliens in there which are not so grounded in um earth-like creatures but i, I think they had the balance down pretty well and um i think you do need grounded stuff to make you believe what you're seeing um so i mean you could go really far out with some of the alien stuff it might sort of take you out of what you're watching so um i i you know yes it's easy for effects departments to sort of make up a creature that you know that they're familiar with and just stick him in a, a an outfit but no i think they got balanced just right i think doctor who's a really good example of that kind of school of just out there monsters what have we got lying around we've got some bubble wrap and some tentacles from an old production we'll we'll make an alien out of that whereas i think the star wars kind of creature shop you know it shows that they've you know looked into this and researched things and you've been through the kind of art school system like uh like i have a little bit haven't you mark and you know one of the things we were taught was to look to nature for inspiration i remember having a project where we had to look at cuttlefish one week and you had, you had no idea what why you were doing this thing and then the next week you'd be briefed on right you've got to kit out a hotel room with this pattern or you know and it's sort of it's it's a sort of time-honored technique to, to sort of take inspiration from nature and i think that's kind of what the guys designing these things were we're doing as a starting point for a lot of these creatures not all of them but there's certainly a, a camp that follows this this theme and and i think one of the other things is that's that's made it really resonate with our generation in particular is sort of in the vintage era the production nicknames ended up becoming the toy names so we have walrus man and we have squid head because that's what they they would have been known as in the in the workshop you know we didn't have that those backstories and those, um, you know, all that expanded universe sort of material that came later. So there's this sort of innocence and a directness to kind of going in to the shop in 1978 and and, and buying, you know, Walrus Man, uh, which I don't think would happen now. I guess that's that's the nature of having so many little rabbit holes to go down and, and, and media being, you know, the story being spread over so many different um, forms, you know, from comics to back in 1978, 1977 even, it was just a story that had you know just over two hours to tell it when, when you had those aliens you knew they were kind of they had the sensibilities of men because they were you know two arms two legs and you could kind of almost identify with them and know enough about them they had a gun they were a bit of a pirate they were drinking in there and that kind of let you say go that jumping off point for the character whereas if they looked like a something more Doctor Who-y or, or even some of the more random things from Red Dwarf than that, you know, you need a story to explain them or, mm. or they're just tech or they're just texture. Whereas we were buying those figures. They you know, those cantina aliens weren't peg warmers. They were they were people we could have just as good a story, you know, or a game with without knowing anything about them. You know, long before the comics kind of went into the folklore of their real names and as it got later on with the Jabbers, you know, the Jabbers goons, where which one was Jabbers account and, and which one was, you know, which, which one was this chiropodist and all that, you know, that kind of detail. Back then we just, oh, yes, you know, that's all we needed to know. It was it was it was Hammerhead and he sat in the corner of the canteen. That's cool enough for me. Yeah, I, I think that's a great take on it. It's a real visual shorthand, isn't it? What was required. Yeah. So now we're at kind of the other end of 40 odd years of that. And we've we've got like a massive Star Wars universe that's uh, 
that's been built up. And I thought it would be uh, a nice, fun, talky bit to try and, you know, populate Dr. Modesto's island. So I'm looking for uh, aliens that kind of fall into this category. So a man with a something's head or a sentient version of a creature. So I think there are lots of things that are kind of like. So, uh, you know, Jabba, you've just mentioned, is a good example. He's kind of slug-like, but he's not slug-man. I mean, let's let's rattle some off and and see where we get to because I've I've done a bit of research and I will um, regale you with some deep deep expanded universe cuts. But let's see who we can nice. write on the top of our from the top of our heads. We go film for film. So let's start with the first film. We've already mentioned the Cantina. We've mentioned Walrus Man. Who else have we got there lurking around that we can say is uh, is a candidate for the island of Doctor Modesto? I tell you one that I had come up with, and I actually went and checked him out because I, I thought he was more of a werewolf, was Laxivrag. But uh, when I looked through a few notes, he was actually known as Hyena Man on set. A little bit special. Is, so is not that one of the one? Hyena Man. So if they'd made a figure of him at the time, he would have probably been called Hyena Man. But he's definitely got more of a werewolf head in my eyes. But, is that um, one they, paint, they painted out in the special edition? Was that one of the masks, one of the stock masks, rather than the ones created for the film that was one of George's first um, heads on the block? Do you know yeah, it was. Uh, and then they released him in Power of the Force 2. Yes, that's right, yeah. You've also got, um, well, I might butcher the name here, from the cantina, Kittick Keedkak, the Prime Mantis. Yeah. A bit of a, a fine one, but... Um, Presumably he's a he's a sentient being, he's sat there having a pint, so... Yeah, well, it's just female in my notes, but... Um, oh, well, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, female insectoid, but uh, definitely got the arms of a praying mantis isn't it yeah we can't um, see her legs no no in fact there's been two action figures of her when i googled her on um jedi business and they've both just got like a like a very triangular skirt just hanging off the bottom because obviously <laughs> don't know what to do with it friday afternoon job yeah <laughs> who else is in there you got cave haven't you yes i think cave's uh, a good right muftak it's got a bit of a spider-like quality about him it's got like four eyes there's there's a sort of uh, a weird kind of piggy thing with sideburns and a and a pair of j- jumpers on. Seeing one picture, but I don't know. What, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not I'm not down with the power of the force too, so I don't know if there was a figure and subsequently a name given to him. Kind of wearing a mustard coloured coat, and he's got kind of got a, big sideburns and a. It's like a cross between an Argonaut and Morris man. Oh, I know who you mean. He's like a yeah. He's got like a bit of a muzzle mouth yeah he's kind of a cross between a rodent and colonel mustard <laughs> what an evil twisted experiment dr modesto has done on him yeah okay <laughs> i think he did it as well with the lead pipe in the study there's um there's one there's one species that's in the cantina that's that's based on a on an animal that also has lived on in rebels and it's and in resistance um on on the platform in resistance anyone clock that one i'm thinking of the goatle which is supposed to be uh, related to the goat, he's, he's kind of a little he's got a little furry face, and his horns stick straight up. There's there's one in resistance, and they've he's got a speaking role, and he, and he's got like a, they've given him like a like a bleating voice, like Larry Lalam. So he's yeah. he's lived on to say he was a little rubber mask in the background of the uh, of the cantina. So there's anyway there's a there's a couple. There's a couple that I've that I've kind of found that I took in that were you know you see them more in the behind the scenes shots um, than you do actually catch them on camera. But there's the Ranat who is uh, a very kind of he's like a rat in a cloak but human sized. And then and this is a tricky one, Brizit who is who is a from the 
Tizzy bits. Tizzy bits. He's going to say. And he's just got a big fly head. He's quite. He looks like he sounds. That's brilliant. He does. The, the fly head, like Death Star droid, Forlom, Zuckus, they're all got a mm. bit of a fly feel to them, haven't they? There's a, there's a real insectoid kind of theme that, that runs through. Yeah, like the Death Star, Death Star droids are good. A good shout. He's very, very fly-like, isn't he? Yeah, um, particularly, particularly that prototype that was in the that's right, German yeah. booklet. Yeah, that was even more so. I think they nicked a head from an existing thing, didn't they? Oh, really? Oh, okay. I believe so. That's like, that's like, I suppose they were all kitbacks, like the Fisher-Price ones for Ben. And yeah. There's, there's a great tradition of that. Any more for any more for A New Hope? I think we've pretty much exhausted that just that kind of cast of characters there in the in the um in the cantina in terms of you know what we're saying earlier about creating that alien world knowing that these are kind of dodgy characters because you know flies are a bit creepy and rats are a bit creepy Mm. it just works so moving on to empire then you know it doesn't have that big scene like new hope has the has the cantina and jedi has jabba's uh, palace empire doesn't have that kind of big alien moment but there's this one character that that kind of i I think fits this bill. So you've got Agonaut, obviously. Agonaut's being the three little pigs or whatever. Little piggy ones, yeah. Mr. Daniels, any any thoughts? Not on Empire. Empire's very, very thin on the ground with creatures. There's no sort of interaction, no um, sort of main sort of planet or set pieces to do with aliens. Um, you've got to wait until you get to Jedi before you become, uh, before you get to the sort of the master class when it yeah. comes to things like that. So Empire, mm-hmm. I think, is very thin on the ground on this kind of stuff. Yeah, you can't you can't count the Wampa because he's just a Yeti, and they're not real. <laughs> Although I did watch a documentary on Channel Five, and I was almost convinced. But then I thought, no, if no, if they'd found it, I'd have heard about it. No, the other the other character I'm thinking about is Bosk, clearly a lizard wearing Mr. a Doctor Who costume. Man. He is, yeah. There's your throwback yeah. to Doctor Who, isn't it? Go, yeah. Goes full circle. Yeah, it's the Doctor <laughs> Who costume, that one, wasn't it? Indeed it was. So Empire's pretty thin on the ground, but as we just mentioned, Jedi, we get into Jabba's palace and they just go nuts. So who, who have we got in uh, in Jabba's palace? I'll throw in Efont Mon, is it? <laughs> yep. Who's more elephant-like, him or Max Rebo? Ooh. Ephon Man's probably just gets it by a nose because that is a proper trunk he's got in it. <laughs> but Max Rebo, obviously, you just said that. And uh, Droopy McCall, now he looks a bit like uh, some sort of worm, doesn't he? He's a bit wormy, isn't he? Yeah. More like a grub. I'd have had him down as like a like a mole. Yeah, a bit of a glowworm, maybe. Bit, bit of a mole stroke pig. Yeah, I can see I can see the mole. There's all, there's also in in the background there's a there's a character called Tannis Spyject. That's his proper uh, expanded universe name. But his race is the Elom, which uh, if you can picture him, he's kind of a hairy guy, big kind of front teeth, eyes kind of set back. Uh, but Elom, of course, in the same way Efont Mom is a kind of uh, a garbled corruption of elephant man. Elom is an anagram of mole. Every day's a school day. Tell you I've done my research. Fantastic. <laughs> You got you got a lot of reptiles in there as well. So you've got your your lizard kind of clatu and and um and his skin in there. And you you've got an Ugonaut as well. I think it's wearing a, like a little jumpsuit like Challenge Annika. <laughs> but, it, but I think it is an Ugonaut. What about a man a man a man a man man? Oh, snake shop to him earlier. What is he? Don't know. Salamanderny type thing. Oh, maybe. What do you think he is, Mark? I always thought it's like a python type man, but did you? Or maybe <laughs> just a snake that hasn't digested its dinner yet and it ate a man. So it's taken that form. You've, of course, got um, Bomar Monk walking around. Spiders, yeah. But he is actually a spider. He's not really fitting the bill with being 
mixed with a human type, has he? He is just. We've got the human. We've got we've got the human brain. You could argue it's the the ultimate. It's the uh, it's it's this experimentation gone to its uh, logical conclusion. I quite like the lateral thinking there, Stuart. Yeah, I think he gets to go. I think he gets to go on the island. So we've mentioned Squid Ed. We're going to talk about him a bit more in uh, a moment. Now, the Piggy Guards, how are we pronouncing their name? I, I'd go I to and fro, but I would go with Gamorrean because just because that's what I think I used to say when I was a kid, Gamorrean Guard. But I think they are referred to as Gamorrean Guards um, in something, aren't they? I call them Gamorrean Guards, but I probably would have called it Gamorrean as a child. Yeah. But looking at the child, word now... Looking at the word now, I would definitely go Gamorian. Phonetically, I suppose it is Gamorian. It was definitely Gamorian back in the day. Anything else strike you uh, about the name? Yeah, it's Sodom and Gomorrah kind of thing, isn't it? It's a reference to the, is it Greek mythology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that I've only noticed recently, and it kind of twigged in my head, and I thought, of course, that's what it is. Oh, is it because of Gammon? Gammon. (laughs) Because they're pigs. Yes. It's it's Gamorian. (laughs) (laughs) Straight in for an argument. (laughs) Gamorian. Do, do they actually say Gamorian in Star Wars? They don't say it, do they? No. It's, it's Gamorian. What does everybody else say? As kids, we were um, Gamorian, but I'm, I'm waiting to see how, how they if they reference the name out loud on on uh, Mandalorian on the next series because they're in there, aren't they? So that that might define it. But certainly well, as a kid, it was Gamorian. Are they mentioned in any of the adverts? Return of the Jedi adverts. But they got things wrong all the time on that, didn't they? Like the way they pronounce it, because they just book a continuity announcer. Well, all, all bets are off in that regard, aren't they? Now they've started calling the Tantive the Tantive-y, because somebody mispronounced it on the radio drama. No. Yeah. Well, that's just wrong. You listen, you listen to any any current audiobook, it's the, it's the Tantive-y for. Yeah. It, it jars with me every time. It's what I say, yeah. Mark, because I'm a... I know these things. Well, you're a what? you're a Star Wars podcasting media <laughs> professional. Reputation <laughs> <laughs> to uphold. You're what do you say, Craig? I, I can't get over to. I, I know it should be Tantivy, and we should toe the party line, but I I can't. It's just nonsense. <laughs> no, it's, it's I'll be tantive, honest. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. My question there was more about the Gamorrean guard. Oh, right. <laughs> We can't, we can't move on from the, the tentative, though. That's, that's really okay. so I, I think, I mean, thinking, you know, listening to you guys, I, I think I probably did call it the Gamorrean when I was a kid. And it's and it's maybe just morphed just through more common social usage uh, as, as Gamorrean. I don't know. It's a bit interchangeable, like Leia and Leah, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, yeah. and Han and Han and Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> it's Han and Leia. It's Han and Leah. It's Leia. Han. Leia. He says it's all British actors call him Leon. It's not Han, is it? No, Han. (laughs) Hey, Han. 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 It's Han. Han. That's how Chewie said it. Han. That's how he said it. Okay. (laughs) We're going going off topic. Let's cool the whole thing off. (laughs) Okay. um, Right. Where were we? We're talking about um, Jabba's Palace. We talked about Squidhead and Yak Face, of course. Body of a man, face of a yak. There's a, there's a couple of obvious ones, I think, in Jedi that we've not Ewoks. met. Ewoks, absolutely. I mean, they are quintessential island of Dr. Modesto material, little sentient bear species. Um, goes without question. And the other one I'm thinking of is probably Akbar. Akbar, yeah. Yeah. Is he, is, he, is he more squid or is he more lobster? Calamari, I think he's there, or lobster. Or... 
I yeah. would have said he looks more like a lobster than a. Uh, than he's a got lobster claws, hasn't he? Got lobstery hands, and he's lobster yeah. coloured, and, it, and it's like a hard shell. But then he's also like the, the, those long squids that have got the little point at the end. Squiddy lobster human creation. Okay, so that I think that's you know, unless anyone's got any others they want to chuck in, I think that's probably the movies covered. When we get into the EU, it just the volume of. of creatures that had to be created to fulfill requirements for comics and books were just huge and aliens were being created all of the time sometimes you know they were just little background characters other times they played big roles i mean there's one really early eu character um, <laughs> yeah, the, rat, the, the green rabbit yeah i was gonna say the green rabbit jackson the green rabbit official species name lepi isn't isn't uh the french for rabbit lepin is that right? <laughs> I don't know. We'll check that and edit it out if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think it's uh, Le Rabbit. Le Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jackson, uh, body of a man, head of a rabbit. But there were lots of other, or well, there were, there were a few other examples of, uh, of sentient species in the expanded Star Wars uh, universe that were rabbit-esque. So the Hugibs. Uh, ah, yes. Of course, yeah. Planet the Hoogibs were capable of thought and speech, so um, they were uh, they could go on the island. The Cushy Bands were another a race of rabbit-like creatures, and the Gerbs or the Gerbs, which are you know, if I'm being picky, they look a bit more like hares than rabbits. Um, longer faces and longer ears, but um, yeah, rabbits have provided inspiration for the creation of alien characters in the Star Wars universe uh, on more than one occasion, but not as many as cat type people. Now, I appreciate I'm going into EU territory here. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Shout up if you've got anything to contribute. So we've got the Cantrosians. Get this. This is this is a name as good as uh, as Efontmon. The Katuman, uh, which were cat humans, Felicacians. They they had a bit of a twist because they actually transformed from kind of human like cats to proper big cats, like a were cat. Uh, they appeared in the expanded universe. Uh, the Tagorians were big cat people. The Trirani were also cat people. The Fargul were lynx people. And then there's a certain strand or a certain species called the Haranzi, uh, which were cat people that had a very Planet of the Apes style uh, societal breakdown. So you had the Gorvan Haranzi, who were the rulers, and they looked like lions. The Kaza Haranzi, they were the warriors and they looked like tigers and they had stripes. Uh, the Mashi Haranzi were like the mystics and they were like black panthers. And the Trekker Aranzi were the commoners, and they were like le- they were like leopard men with spots. So that whole you know lion men of Mongo thing came in came into Star Wars in a big way in the expanded universe. There are a few others. Shall I keep going? You knock yourself out, mate. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, but you knock yourself out. <laughs> I'm going to read out some species. You're going to guess what um, what what creatures they might have been inspired by. The Salonians, snakes, otters. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> The Amarans. Armadillos. <laughs> oh, quite cool. No, it was foxes. Squibs. Uh, no, often portrayed as squirrel-like. Mm. Uh, this, this is one of my favourites that I found. The Zeheb... The Zehethbra. Zebra. <laughs> the badger people. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a race called the Kormai, who are more... Even more walrusy than walrus man. Uh, and there's a species called the Kedors, and, and they're like sea lions. Has there ever been like a, a bird-type creature? I know you had the Geonosians, but they were more insects. There's a there's a character in the Yuzan Fong novels called Verger, 
and she's kind of like a bird. So yes. And there's one that I'm coming to as well. There is a, there is a really good example of that, which I'm coming to in a moment. Where did I get to on my big list? I'm going to finish these last two. And I'm going to tell you where these came from. Uh, what's missing out of all those horse people? Not at any horse people. So there, there's the Nazar, who are like kind of horsey type. Uh, they've got horsey faces, and they even wore bridal type adornments to just reinforce that fact. Uh, and there's also the Savini, Savini, also uh, are kind of like. Horsemen, horse faced men. Now, a lot of these came from this is all this is all genuine expanded universe. Some of it's early Marvel stuff, some of it's kind of mid-period bantam novel type stuff, some of it's comics. And I'm going to move on to sort of some of the later kind of more canon stuff in, in a sec. But I was greatly assisted in compiling this list by a website called WikiFur, which is a, a, a portal for um for furries. So you know those people who dress up as furry animals for kicks? Whoa. <laughs> They have a special section on a website if you want to dress up as a Star Wars-related furry. (laughs) This has got very dark very quick. That's why Jez couldn't record tonight, is that his his annual furry furry AGM? (laughs) He's a plain clothes furry because he hasn't got any fur normally when you see him. He's he's keeping up a load He is from the neck down, yeah. He just shows it off. He doesn't want to be like known as a furry. So I know when we set up Generation Skywalker, we wanted to broaden out our reach and our, uh, our kind of understanding of the Star Wars fandom. And um, I think that's a little box ticked. So we'll be posting this on all the furry Facebook groups. <laughs> yeah, you've got to join them. So just quickly then, we've, we've talked about the EU. Let's look at some of the animated shows. And there's a couple of really good examples for for, for those who um, who are up to speed with the Clone Wars in particular. Any takers? Any recommendations for the island no okay there's a there's a a race called the lerman uh which appear in the episode episode jedi crash and they are lima people and i know that lima people were like they did in a lot of the shows they recycled ideas that were looked at in uh, from the movies that were never used and i know that was a a george lucas creation was uh i want to see some lima people but they're also when you get into the eu there were lima type creatures in the kamazi uh, and the Cluzot were also a lemur-like race, so I guess it makes sense if humans were def- descended from apes that lemurs might similarly produce a ev- evolution chain of humany type lemur people. Um, and then there's two like re- <laughs> that that when I saw them on screen, I thought, well, they're just a bit silly, but that you know they are they follow that tradition of you know men with creature heads from the cantina. So you've got Rift Tamsin who is the Carcadon, which is the uh, the clone commander generally type character who's got a shark head. He looks more like out of a children's cartoon, doesn't he? That's well, that's well funny. Clone Wars. <laughs> okay, there you go. Fox <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's, you know, that's contemporary Star Wars. That's what the creators of Star Wars are, you know, honor, honoring, I think, those cantina aliens by putting a shark head on a man. And then the other one is Admiral Trench. I guess he, he he picks up where uh, where Muftak leaves off, doesn't he? They really go for the spider thing with him. Going back to the original trilogy era, there was a cat-type-looking person in the Star Wars Holiday Special. The spelling of his name was M-Y-R-H, and then the surname R-H-O, and he was a Cathar or something, and he, he basically looked like a cat with a 70s perm. If he made it to live-action screen, then he trumps all the, other, all the other cat men that we discussed earlier. Just to finish on, so sticking with animated shows, there's a character um, called uh, Flix in Resistance who is an owl. <laughs> He's just a big talking owl 
with long legs. You haven't mentioned in the prequels, old old Dud Bolt. I used to always like him. The old pod race pilot. Oh, is he the little crocodile type? Oh, of course. He's got like the little teeth, hasn't he? Yeah. I was uh, I was quite liked him. Didn't get enough airtime for me. There's the other one that looks a bit like something out of Bugs Life as well, isn't there, in the pod race? He's like a grey colour. Looks a bit like a thumb. Like a thumb? Yeah. Is he team, team toe? Oh, now you're blinding me with science now. Oh, he's, he's another rabbit character. <laughs> oh, there you go. They're all a bit creature-fied, aren't they, the pilots? Apart from Anakin. Cool. Okay, I've got one one to finish on, and the only one I could sort of really identify from the sequels, because we get into sort of sophisticated, not in quotes, sophisticated creature design, where I don't think the designers of these creatures want to kind of display their influences too overtly. So they're all kind of a bit of a mishmash, and it's hard to point at anyone and go, he's a man with a, you know, rabbit head. But the caretakers on Acto are very clearly like fish people yeah. with bird with bird feet. So that's the only real example. You had the flies playing cards, didn't you, in Maz's castle? Oh, yeah, yeah, they had some little fly people. They were mozzies, weren't they? Mosquitoes with their long little... Mosquitoes, yes, with the little proboscis. Oh, yeah, yes. of course. Yes, no, good shout. And you also had... Do you remember when The Force Awakens was being filmed? They had, like, the teaser, JJ was in the desert, and they had, like, that creature come past, a bit camely fied head. Yeah. Yeah, kind of promoting the film and kind of, like, looking at him with all the junk on its back. Yeah, yeah carrying the cage, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was camely. More camel. I think that's a pretty comprehensive look at sort of these aliens that are inspired by earthbound animals, cropped up over the years in the expanded universe, in the movies, in the TV shows. If we've missed anybody, uh, and listeners are shouting at their uh, their devices, going, "You've forgotten Flippity Gibbet and his <laughs> his crazy slugways or whatever," then please let us know, and we will uh, correct that mistake. But I think for now. You know, it's a very populated island um, that Dr. Badesco is going to hang out on uh, with his wild and wacky creations. Because he signed them all off, you know. Every single one of them got that seal of approval from uh, from the man himself. <sighs> so who's missing? That was the other thing I was going to ask you. Who's missing? We've covered a lot. But what I thought it would be fun to do would be to ask everyone to create their own alien along these lines. Um, let us know what your species is called. And give me a little background as to kind of what their what their race is all about. Have you all done your homework? Just randomly trying to think of different animals, and and like I said, they've all been done. You've got cats and spiders and all the Marvel creatures, and 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 that's why I ended up with Hedgehog Man. But I couldn't. No, I, the short answer to your question is no. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't really think of any. Well, I think Hedgehog Man is uh, deserves a deserves a shout because you know they've not. You're very kind. Yeah. They've not explored Hedgehog Men. Well, they they have missed a trick. Yeah, obviously he's he's kind of built for battle. He's got the all the the quills or what have you, and he's got that defence of being able to just curl up into a ball. The destroyer droids. Exactly. Yeah, they did that. Didn't <laughs> they? they did have that motion. I don't think Star Wars Universe mentions monkeys very much. So my alien is Gibbon Fella. Um, <laughs> from Gibbon the- Fella. From the planet Bonobos, <laughs> it's a very it's it's a sort of sexy planet of the apes. They have a lot Sounds of sex it. on this planet, obviously with them being sort of bonobos. Yeah, that's it. And also, Gibbon Fallet is is a bit of a chav. He's a bit of a chav in the Star Wars universe. So he's wearing very cheap sort of tracksuits. <laughs> just just a just a real sort of you know chavy, grubby little monkey type character. Very much like you see in uh, High Street, something down the country at the moment, you know, populated with these sorts of dirty, horrible, 
scrummy little people. I'm picturing his little bandy bandy legged swagger. Yeah, he's got like he's got a bit of a mank walk about him, so he's got <laughs> long arms. He's got the, the the mank swagger, bit of an oasis, stone roses type vibe about him. Yeah, he's he, you know a lot of them have got a bit of a, a Noel Gallagher kind of character about them, and uh, yeah, they're always having sex on on this sexy planet of the apes. I love it. <laughs> I'm picturing him drinking diamond white, propping up a bar in a in a metallic shell suit. You, you've got it, mate. You've got it. Yeah. Given fella. If, if you can get me a sketch done uh, for the um, for the enhanced podcast, that would be uh, amazing. I'll tell you what, mate. I'll, I'll, better, I'll draw it for you now, and I'll send it to you now. Watch. You carry on talking. All right. Well, <laughs> listen. In, in all that, in all that fun and and uh, and spooky jollity, mm-hmm. I almost forgot we were recording a vintage show about collecting. Are we? <laughs> Given fella. Because I think the word man's used all uh, you know yeah. awful lot, and I think George would probably look at some colloquial names for things and i think you probably look at english uh, slang and think oh the word fella that's, yeah. that's quite a cool word i'll use that on something that's brilliant i haven't even seen him yet and i'm, I'm invested i know I'm, i can't possibly move on to the next topic until this has come through <laughs> and now i can see why you're the artist and, and we're not that, that's beautiful he looks like a scrapper. There's a lot of attitude coming from that. A lot of attitude. Yeah. Don't mess about with Gibbon Fallow. Surprisingly small genitals for a, for, a, for a species that has a lot of sex. It's like a lipstick type thing. It's like a dog <laughs> slides out. Well, this is podcast gold, gentlemen. I'm so sorry. I feel like I've dragged... I've listened to this for some time. And it's shone like a beacon in Star Wars podcasts. And I've come on the once and it's just degenerated into a celebrated artist drawing sketches of monkeys with small penises and long arms. I don't know what happened. Welcome, Mark. <laughs> well, thank you. For, thank you for entering into the spirit of that, Mark. I really yeah. appreciate it. So back to our allotted characters, back to our vintage action figures, uh, which is what we all like to talk about. And we'll just go around and we'll we'll take it in turns. So we talk about, you know, the character, your relationship with it as a child, and then just highlight kind of the vintage collectibles that uh, that were inspired by it. Who wants to go first? Uh, Mark, you're on a roll. Tell us about Yak Face. Uh, yak Face, Yak Face, Yak Face. Um, just <laughs> that's what you say when you look in the mirror. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I say when I, when I summon you, mate. It's like Beetlejuice, yeah. Um, no, Yak Face is uh, it's just, just one of the most overrated figures uh, in the whole of the line, as far as I'm concerned. People hop up and down about how rare it is, and it, it, it's it's not rare. It's not a rare figure. Uh, it's not a particularly nice-looking figure. But what I will say is, when you come across a Yak Face in a on a car boot sale or a toy fair for one or two pound, or you find one cheap, whatever. It has that magic quality, so it has that going for it. But it's, it's, in terms of a figure, I think it's a really, really shit one. To be fair, uh, <laughs> just no interesting colour, uh, just really dull as ditch water. Crap card back, absolutely shocking, and uh, it has absolutely no appeal to me whatsoever. I don't even collect last last fifteen. If you're old school, last. 17. Last 17 if you're uh, new school. You last find a yak face for a pound at a car boot sale, Mark. Oh, I am. Um, when was the last cheap yak face I found? Must be about two years ago. I think I paid 50 quid for it. And it was mint. It was absolutely mint. Mint. 
And that was it, to be fair. You you were dealing back in the day, though, weren't you? Were, you? were you shipping them off to the States? No, but I was selling them to a guy directly who was going out there, and he would go out there with bags full of them. He told me, however many yak faces you can find, I will buy them off you for 20 quid, which at the time was good money because they were only sort of 10, 15 quid at the max. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, 20 quid. I thought, bloody hell, fire. And you, you could go to any car boot sale and pick up uh, a yak face back then. No problem. Stuart, you you were um, you inherited a lot of the older figures, didn't you? Did you have a yak face? Did you play with him? I, I never owned a yak face until about two weeks ago. Really? Yeah, yeah, never, never really appealed to me, and like, I've had several loose runs going, but I never then pulled the trigger on that. And I actually, got a nice one the other day, but um, yeah, I think Mark's right. It's it's not one of my worst, worst figures, but it's nowhere near up there. I I don't think if I had it as a child, I don't think it would have got much play value. I I had mine as a child, and and I think it's the same one I've got now, and it's been I never played with it, but it was sort of the end of the end of the run, wasn't it? So I was probably twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in 1985, wasn't it? So I was 12. I was probably just starting to notice girls a bit more and not not so bothered about little plastic men. So well, I remember having it, but but it, it, the the whole desirability comes from from the lack of them in America, doesn't it? So with a lot of the the books and reference material coming from America, it's it's got this celebrated status as a as a rare a rare thing because they had them in Canada and we had them, but they didn't have them in America. But I don't know. There are worse figures, surely. I feel like I need to defend him. There are worse figures in the run. I'm sure. Here's a question: Is he is he complete if he doesn't have a weapon? Well, he is if you bought him on a, in England because they never came with the weapons. Yeah, I'd argue that. I I don't. Mine's got a weapon. My loose one, and I consider him complete because you know Britain and all that. I, I have bowed to peer pressure, and I do have a weapon with my loose one now. But it, obviously, it didn't come with one because I bought it from Tesco for one fifty nine back in the day, and it didn't have a weapon. But so not a lot of love for him as a figure. Not particularly interesting. In in real life, what he was up to in the uh, on the barge. Go on, right. What was he doing there? He was posing as a humble merchant, but uh, he was he was mingling with the various uh, denizens of Jabba's fortress on Tatooine, learning of the intrigues developing behind the hut back and revealing those to Jabba. He was using Fine. his inconspicuous size and shape to sneak around, <laughs> listening up conversations. So not wow. only not only was did he look boring. Boring figure, he's boring character, but he's also got boring life. When he was a grass, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't his accountant or anything. When wasn't Reeves his accountant or something? Jabba's accountant. So, like in the in the scale of boring jobs, he was at least he was in his own mind. He was probably a little bit of a double O seven. And, and a prize to whoever can pronounce his name. Oh, now Sonic Mayak or something in it? I don't know. Say <laughs> Mayak, yeah, you're something like that. Something like that, yeah. Sail Murray, if you say so. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a guess. I'm really having to kind of go. For I'll the, tell you some of the names you've come up with. You've, you've had the Rosetta Stone out, haven't you? You've come out with some amazing uh, pronunciations tonight. <laughs> if you say them with enough confidence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, any other notable yak face collectibles that we've uncovered? The, the figure that came with the um, Jabba's sail boys, the Haslab uh, Jabba ah. sail boys, that came with a, uh, a yak face. It come on out like a power and force uh, car back. That, that's that, that's the only real sort of notable one. I mean, obviously, they did Power of the Force 2 figure, but again, they, they, they managed to make a shit figure even worse. Packing it in with that very limited uh, Katana um, sail barge just kind of it, it repeated that created desirability, didn't it? Ironically, or, or maybe on purpose. Yeah, I, th I think that's what it was. Um, it, it, especially in the States, it's got like a almost sort of mythical status, hasn't it? Mm. Uh, Blue Snack, Tooth or Final Cape Jabba, that kind of thing. Whereas 
yak face really over here european wise it's, it's not really a rare figure didn't yak face when you go to beyond the toys type things isn't it on one of the cooler cups like the the plastic beakers i'm sure it's on like a jedi jedi beaker i would say that was really i don't think you'd find a great deal with yak face on it in beyond no, the toys I, either would you i've got a feeling he featured on the return of a jedi figure case but i haven't got that to hand yeah, he's he's on a Dixie cup. Nice big uh, close up of him on a, on a Dixie cup. Obviously, he had a coin, you know, for the completists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if and if he couldn't get enough of uh, you know little yak face, gentle giants um, exclusive for Celebration Europe in Essen was was a tri logo giant yak face. Yeah, he was he was on the Coca Cola cup. I've just found it. He was on there with Reese and C three PO. That classic uh, combination. Oh uh, yeah. Salacious crumb in the middle there. Squad goals right there. Cool. Well, I think that puts Yak Face to bed. Not Yak Face. Stuart, Warus Man. Well, Warus Man. Beautiful figure. My four favourite figures as a kid were the Cantina Aliens. Yeah, straight away. I I love, as a figure, he played quite an important part in the Cantina scene. Getting his arm chopped off. But I love when they went and made the figure that they gave him flippers on his feet. I just think that it's the only figure that you really uh, get such a random... A random thing. Oh. Looking at other stuff, obviously, obviously, Warus Man came in mailers. It was part came with one of the Cantina sets. So, if you're a focus punter, there's there's quite a lot you can go and pick up outside of things. But when I was looking on the tracker, and I don't know if you've been on Star Wars Tracker recently. He's, he's had a bit of a makeover, and it's now got um like an availability rank, but it's also got availability rank lifetime, where it rates which so 2,031 card combinations. And um, according to Tracker, the Palatoy 45A is the easiest card to find of any of them. We're talking Kenner's The Lot. Mm. I don't know how true that is, but it is number one out of 231 cards. Um, and with those stat- stats, I suppose it, it could just be the most sold. It might be the same one. It might. <laughs> found, found they're allergic to a Bumchinian and they've just passed it on. <laughs> a Bumchinian. I've seen way more 20 bucks than I have seen 45s. To be, to be fair with you, Mark, I thought it was quite a... Uh, a strange statistic altogether. I, d- I haven't delved in and looked through every card, whether there's 2,000 who are all ranked number one. But I did think to myself, that's a really strange, mm. strange thing. Yeah. It's um, But it's also got a valuable rank for lifetime. And it's quite low down. It's 1,597th out of 2,031. So with that in mind, then it go- it's, obviously, it's obviously sold quite expensive. If you're a Warus Man focus collector, you, you go on Tracker, I mean, a lot of these cards are 100 to 200, 250 quid. Yeah, I'm talking 20, kind of 20 backs. Okay, the, the Harbert's expensive, but a lot of the 20 backs are all between 175 average to about 300 average. You know, quite reasonable. Um, obviously, the Palatoy 20A, the average is 1,100 pounds. So, obviously, got to put your handy pocket there. But the average for a, a Warus Man Clipper is only at 100 pounds, which um, is on the Empire card which seems really, really reasonable to me. If anyone can find me one for £100, <laughs> I'll be all over that. It's, it's got to be said, it's a crap card. It's heavily airbrushed. Yeah. There's no background to it. It's, it's, it's a very, very weak card back, in my opinion. Certainly not as strong as um, Hammerhead or Greedo. Yeah, true. So, Stuart, I know you're a massive, massive variant guy and that there are a couple of notable... <laughs> Uh, Walrus Man variants. What can you, what can you tell us about them? You've got uh, pink tusks, pink bum. Uh, yeah, pink bum face. I I think I think the PBB is generally quite a different figure. Actually, I think if you did mm. sit it next to each other, it is quite noticeable. 
yeah, am I, am I missing one? Can you say a couple? I always thought it was just the tusks, really, and the 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 waffle, the waffle on his on his tusks. You know where his tusks go straight down. Yeah, you get ones with uh, a line down and a line across, so it looks like a almost like a jacket potato when you when you cut a jacket potato. <laughs> on his mouth. Wow, one's going to be eBay in jacket potato variation walrus mouth. You just created a new variant as if we needed some jacket, more jacket potato <laughs> jacket <laughs> spud walrus man. Yeah. <laughs> It comes up after Gibbon Faller. <laughs> what I will say is, if you if you were a focus collector, again, he's another one where there's not a great deal of Beyond the Toys stuff. Again, he features on things like Dixie Cups. I even had a look through the Star Wars um, colouring books, and considering he had a part to play in the cantina, he doesn't come up very often. But what I did find was, I don't know if you ever remember the... Um, Back in, I think it was 1978, they you had the article in the Woman's Day magazine where you could build your own um, Hoff playset, Echo Base, uh-huh. which reminds me, Mark, I'll come on to that later, see how yours is getting on. But also <laughs> in that same magazine, there was a build-your-own Dagobah set. Now, I don't know if you lot ever saw this, but this this image, so from 1978, it's got Yoda, it's got R2 in the pond, it's got, there's a Luke in, there's a Vader in the background, and then there is a Warus man just wandering around Dagobah, just, you know, having a chuckle. So if I just put the Pope picture in this, this was out of the magazine. This is a bit, you build your own Dagobah set. Can you see a little Warus man in the um, in the middle there? There's also some Jawas knocking around as well. I thought to myself, hey, you've, you've kind of knocked, you've kind of got it, but then you just like stuck Jawas everywhere with a random Warus man. I, but, I um, kind of get Warus man. He's got flippers. He could have a little dip in, was... uh, <laughs> in the swamp. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if you are a Warus man, um, focus collector i think i think this magazine is a uh, is vital i think it's um what you need to be looking for i've got the book version of that magazine and i don't think that one's in there because it's just the space stations and that in here i love this Stuart. i've never seen this before that's amazing that dagobah is fantastic oh good spot lovely lovely deep cut that thank you Stuart. to be fair though mate that's that's all you're really getting because apart from a bit of um pre-production and stuff there's not a great deal he, he obviously features in some quite cool palatoy adverts you know the one that had green greedo was on it um he's he's on there with his little arm out and stuff that's always a classic classic advert but um there's there's a great palatoy um printed advert that was in the comics in 78 which has got when they announced the 20 it's like a line art drawing and there's two versions of it it's, you can go, you're looking at the back of r5d4 and it, r5d4 stood next to luke x-wing and he's got the aliens in front of him and it's announcing the 20 figures and there's a great image there of of worst man i'll tell you what else i've found actually i've forgotten about was the you, you're talking about the early releases obviously the um there was a german impact catalog released before which had like the prototypes i did save the photos i'll put that in as well and you can see that they they're very very different to what they ended up being but warus man they're different kind of color scheme another great great image but yes there's a few there's a few kind of photo opportunities with warus man but not not a great deal but yeah that color scheme's uh loads better yeah orange uh, orange top and brown brown trousers yeah it looks uh, doesn't look as kind of wacky and 70s is his uh his leotard he's got painted I love, hits i just love luke x-wing it's clearly another um mock-up with a fisher prize figure but... fisher prize yeah, yeah. great on there. lovely stuff okay then moving on mark do you want to with a c should we yes. talk gamma and guard 
Yeah, Gamorian Guard. <laughs> um, as a kid, I remember first seeing the figure in um, in my local Tesco in Wokenham. Just being really excited because it was a lot of figure for your money. It was a big, big chunky figure. And he had an axe. That was something else we hadn't seen before with the weapons. And rather than being a bit disappointed that it wasn't spacey, I just thought that was really cool. I just thought it was a really, a really cool figure. Unfortunately, it wasn't my birthday yet. And it was we were there to buy a present for Nick Pashley's birthday. And unfortunately, he got one before me then because I got I picked the figure out. And it's like, yeah, yeah, OK, we'll give that to you. But it's like, no, can I get because I haven't got this one. No, no, we're getting a present for your friend's birthday. So... Nick benefited from the first Gamorrean guard I ever saw in a in a shop, and um, I'm not bitter about it at all anymore. I no. bet he hasn't even got it. I bet he hasn't even got it anymore. But it's just you know boot fed it or something. That was my first sighting of it in the wild, kind of thing in a, in a toy shop. The first time I laid eyes on the toy, and figure variant wise, quite a cool leddy variant of it with a with the day glow horns and teeth, and then you've got the the Macau and Hong Kong variants, and Macau scar, and probably you know some waffle iron. Gamorrean guard variant that I'm not aware of. For, other than the carded figure, the, the standard communal garden carded figure that we had in this country and the Trilogo version, which is again a nice card back with it, the, the way it's laid out on the on the Trilogo card is really nice. There's obviously the the Power of the Force version that, that's much sought after, which was I think Australian, pretty much an Australian exclusive, wasn't it? Was it only available in Australia or did they did they ship anywhere else? I'm not sure. I think I'm right in saying it was it was one of the three Power of the Force figures from that Parallel Force range that wasn't actually released in America or Canada. Okay. It's actually uh, an Australian uh, release. I'm just trying to think or grab a note that I made. I think it was uh, Nick Toe and the Attack Driver were the other two, I believe. I think you're right, yeah. I think when found more in the wild these days, they're always in Australia. So they've always got yellow bubbles because of the temperature and that, the way they've been stored. Uh, and obviously a lot of those bubbles go yellow when you look at them anyway, so... Other other than that, I mean, and that's like a, that's a couple of thousand pounds worth of figure right there, power of the force in in good condition. As far as tracker goes, um, anywhere up to sort of any sort of three thousand or three thousand two hundred and sixty three, I think is the most expensive that's that's in tracker. There's eight in there total, um, so the average price for them is about two thousand two hundred and ninety. Not chicken feed. Quite a, quite a cool one, but the the Trilogo card's a great looking card, and and obviously the standard standard Return of the Jedi card back still quite strong, I think, with a scene from Jabba's palace. And there was also some other quite cool things like the two pack, the KB two packs. You can seen them with Greedo before, probably with the randomness of that selection. Probably several other figures in that two pack run as well. There's a cool three pack that JC Penny and Montgomery Ward had, which came with Squidhead and Bib Fortuna. And for some reason, so far anyway, on the because I like the I like collecting the three packs and the for some reason the, the Gamorrean guard um, Squidhead and Bib Fortuna is the only one that isn't printed in black randomly the box all the prints in blue on that one but I don't really know the significance but but it's quite a cool pack and then he cropped up in it was just a, such a cool cool creature so it sort of crops up all sorts of places you've got it creeping into the, the packaging on Jabba's playset and Rancor the Rancor monster box box art heavily represented in the back of Battle of the Sarlat Pit the Parker um, 3D board game and he, he made it as an HCF pencil topper as a Sigma statue as well if you collect the Adam Joseph Banks the um, Gamorrean Garb was only released in Canada and Australia wasn't it so it's the Emperor's Royal Guard, Vader and R2 are always, um, I think, Wicket and Nisa as well, are quite common. But then the Gamorrean specially boxed is really What, what was the box art for that? Were, were those silver boxes? No, they were bright red. Oh, right, like like, like the Vader Bank and that. Yeah. One. Yeah, with the, with the Jedi logo in black. Yeah. 
there was some Don Post stuff uh, and Ben Cooper costumes, like uh, staying on the Halloween vibe. And there was also a paperback book with the masks in, which he managed to get make an appearance in that, although there was a lot of main characters in that book, but he made it into there as well. Ackermas version, wasn't there, of the, the costume? The, oh, really? Yeah. He was a very popular sort of character to promote the movie. I remember seeing a lot of that image of, of the Gamorrean and Sice Noodles, and I remember kind of him being plugged heavily as, look at these weird and wonderful aliens we're going to be getting in the new movie. So... Um, yeah, it follows that there's, he's, he's appeared on a lot of the kind of more esoteric items. I'm not sure what the maker was, but there was a there's a badge that I see quite often, like a, one of the larger size badges um, from Jedi that's got that image that I think was used on the um, the Return of the Jedi fact file poster type things, which he made it on the cover of one of those as well. But that image, I think, was used on the, one of the official license badges. And then I think there's a Mexican bootleg, but I'm not quite sure. I've owned it before, but I didn't keep it. And I think it, I'm not quite sure what era it's from. From it, it was you see them every now and again sold as Mexican bootlegs, but it's uh, it's a weird scale. I know it's modern. Crazy Have you ever seen the um, the sideshow Mythos statue? Just so, suddenly menacing. Yeah. Not not some comedy fat pig guard. It looks like he'd take you out. And it's obviously, you know, that's that to me is where they've gone with the Mandalorian. Um, well, that's perfect, isn't it? Yeah, looking at that, looking at it now, you've got all the, the texture with the with the fur around the middle, but that's absolutely spot on, isn't it? Now, that's that's great. That's that is really nice. That's one of the reasons I have to just not look too much at this stuff because I haven't got the space to collect any more stuff. I mean, I see things like I go, well, no, that is really nice. Yeah, and then just to round up, there's there's an unproduced micro collection version of him uh, that that Ron's put on the the uh, Star Wars Collector's Archive. And something I put on Star Wars recently was the 2000 AD issue that's got him on the front cover, which was great. It was um, a giveaway, one of the few competition sort of times they did on 2000 AD. So the 11th of June, 1983, issue 320. That's a great illustration of him as well, isn't it? Yeah, Robin Smith did the cover art for it, and it's really, really cool. You've got him there with Klaatu and and Reuse and... uh, and Jez's favourite, the Imperial, uh, the, sorry, the Rebel Troop Transporter behind them. There's the booby prize for the competition. Good stuff. Okay, so the the, the last one on our list was uh, was Squidhead, which we know was going to get looked at by Jez. But um, anyone got any thoughts on Squidhead? Brilliant what? figure. I mean, amazing accessories. Yeah, just random accessories. Yeah, mm. two pieces oh, of soft goods. I think it's an amazing figure. Oh, a lot of detailing. Yeah, for sure. Very accurate, isn't it? To the uh, to the on screen creature. I don't think it gets enough love, actually, as a figure. But he's going to be one of the winners of Mandalorian Season 2, isn't he? Because there's a lot of that species in the trailer. Yeah, Squidhead's a great figure. He was he was one of my first Jedi figures as a, as a kid. I remember loving it. I mean, it was just leaps and bounds ahead of what we'd seen with with previous figures the the detail uh and, and also you know and it's it's true of all the kind of creatures in in jedi they just dialed everything up everything was just a little bit wackier and a little bit more detailed and that that really came across in that thing i mean the detail on his belt is just amazing amazing but yeah i, I think he's a little bit unloved maybe because he's sort of quite common and he's he falls into goon territory yeah it's, it's a shame that because it's not when you when you think about it I mean, he's got a specific weapon, as far as the, the grey Bespin blaster. So really, it doesn't really scan that it's such a, a cheap figure to get and such a common figure because there's so much to go missing with them. And uh, it's protect, particularly the weapon. You know, when generally with Star Wars, if, if with, some, with some of them anyway, we get so cr- hung up on the colour of the weapon that's meant to go with a figure. I'm thinking like Luke 
stormtrooper and things like that we get bogged down in the detail of it but and like the comlinks often get lost from the cloud car pilot but then one of very few gray weapons and yet they seem pretty plentiful you know why don't you why because he because he holds it really well he, he has got a good grip on it yeah got a good grip yeah true yeah I tell you what will true. cost you if you're a focus collector though is obviously the lily leddy, isn't it? The the capes, the coloured, yes. the coloured that, capes. So the rainbow, the rainbow yeah. squid. Yeah, yeah, that's where your um where your money's going to go there if you're focusing. Never owned one. Yeah, it's um they're cool as well. About three years ago, I I won a squid head lily leddy with a different colour cape on on eBay, legit for about seventeen quid, gone under the radar, wow. and then the bloke realised, obviously realised that what it was or or someone had told him and mm. he suddenly made out to me he'd lost the figure and then it reappeared on ebay about two weeks later under a different ebay name and he kind of like yeah all right mate mr daniels you're staying very quiet while we're discussing jedi collectibles um yeah i i agree with you mate i mean squidhead was one of my first figures and my first thought was exactly the same it was like head and tail above anything we'd seen before and um, I think that's one of the reasons why I picked it out was because it was so different um, to the other figures and also the Jedi era figures were the first ones where you started getting um, helmets packed separately rather than having it already sort of sculpted onto the head so Leia Boosh and Lando Skiffguard um the whole Jedi line was was like a step up, wasn't it? A lot of the sculpting was a lot better. Some of the weapons were much more uh, close, closer to the, the actual sort of screen use things rather than the generic bits and bobs that we got with the other figures. But yeah, Squidad, definitely uh, one of the better figures. I think what where it does fall down is the fact that there were so many of them made and a lot of them became peg warmers like reyes. I remember going into one shop local to me, one toy shop, and all they had was reyes and cheap chirp. And there must have been, you know, three racks just full of them. And I think Squidhead falls into that category, which is a shame, really, because it is a really, really cool figure. Lovely, really nicely sculpted. And um, quite like the, the car back as well. It's quite cool. It would have made a really good mail away, wouldn't it? Because I guess the reason they made so many of some of those figures that were peg warmers were because the production cost was so high, they had to do a greater quantity of them to get the price cheaper. Yeah. And if they'd done that as a mail away, imagine, I mean, he, he would piss on the act face from a great height, wouldn't he? If Squidhead had been a mail away, or people trying to get a you know a complete mailer squid head like you say it's just the detail on it was just was head and shoulders above what we'd had before really i mean the best we got was like the smock on an agonaut wasn't it and then suddenly there was this embarrassment of riches so did he did he appear on much else uh, you know beyond being a figure dixie cup yeah i would i would say he uh, pops up on on all your usual kind of those kind of generic type of things i'm sure he was he's on that do you remember that jigsaw puzzle with which just had no yes. background but all of the um return of the jedi all having a, aliens having a yeah. yeah 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 with the silver yeah, so. the silver box jigsaw yeah and the last of yak and that will all be on there as well won't it so he did have that um to think what else he would have he came on he didn't he didn't make it to anything like um like erasers or pencil toppers i can think of not not pencil toppers i don't think no gamorium he, he was on a few erasers wasn't he HC yeah um yeah she ford liked him he actually shares the the dixie cup with uh gargan the six-breasted dancer and the gamorium i think by the look of it they're all there I am just googling quickly because i've got a feeling he was just googling has anyone got the jab of the hut play-doh set i've got a hunch he was um 
was one of the moulds, but oh, I can't okay. see the picture close enough to determine it. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was a mould in Return of the Jedi, the Jabba the Hutt okay. plate. Um, I'll go and have a look. Hang on, Stewie, you're absolutely uh, spot on. Is he? Yeah, I'm pr- yeah, pretty sure Jab- he's Jabba Jedi Luke Gamorrean, Bib Fortuna, yes. and Squidhead. I've got a picture of the box cover up, but you can't make it out. Great shout. I'm struggling to think of much else though beyond that. Actually, he was in the Space Figures three pack, I believe. With um, you know the the Irish pack, um, yeah. Space Figures three packs. It's, I've seen those with Squidhead in. I tell you where Squidhead, 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 Squidhead does pop up on the Luke mm. Jedi card back, and on the Waddington's jigsaw, the same image, isn't it? Okay, so that, I mean, I think out of those um, those four characters, that they would most definitely form, you know, Doctor Modesto's kind of chief uh, chief lieutenants on the island. And I think what's interesting about those three in particular, those three, and I'm not including Yakface in that, is that they've all sort of gone on and had a bit of longevity as a as a species and and indeed as characters. So Ponda Baba, who was obviously Walrus Man, reappeared recently in Rogue One. He got to uh, he got to live the life beyond uh, uh, the Cantina. And we've already kind of touched on this that we've got um, Gamorians and uh, and Quarrens, uh, yeah. Squidhead's race, appearing in the Mandalorian. And as we record this, it's uh, a mere twenty four hours away. It's actually, less than that, isn't it? Yeah. So do you think that's that's kind of down to the fact that these were figures, these were action figures that we played with as a kid? I think with the Mandalorian, there's a lot of that because the Mandalorian feels like it's for our generation, not primarily, I suppose, because it, but it's there's certainly they're certainly catering for us, probably more so than than the sequels and and what I've seen of the uh, animation series. I know how much kids love the Mandalorian. Most big kids love it too, don't they? I think it seems to have got it absolutely spot on. For me, a lot of the sequel films almost ignored a lot of the original aliens and characters in favour of completely brand new ones. And uh, Mandalorian has almost sort of corrected that gone back and reintroduced some favourites. Um, the Clone Wars, the, you know, the animated series, they, they relied very heavily on original trilogy uh, aliens when they introduced new ones. But I, I always felt with the sequel films that a lot of the original aliens were completely ignored and uh, just, you know, a whole plethora of, of new species being just banded about like it was it was nothing i mean look at mas Kanata's bar scene i mean I, I can't think of a single original trilogy character that's in there so um, yeah uh, i um I, I would agree with the, the fact that mandalorian does and rightly so uh rely on some of the original trilogy stuff and that's why it feels very m- much more like classic star wars as far as i'm yeah concerned. absolutely I agree and I, I think that kind of brings us full circle doesn't it in terms of our discussion this evening we'll see in a matter of hours how they treat the quarrens and the gamorians and and kind of what attributes this race are given through this new medium so i'm excited about that and i'm sure everybody else is as well because we grew up with these characters can't wait during lockdown it's been one of the shining lights that's been burning you know, towards the end of this year, it's one of those things that you really look forward to. And I just, you know, I've got every faith it's going to be even better than season one. I watched wow. all of season one today. Today? Just to, just to freshen it up, yeah. I don't you know, I was going to do that and I didn't. And now I wish I had. 
You had to research Gamory and Guard uh, collecting. You know, I did that instead, and I wish I had. Yeah, I wish I'd just watched <laughs> the Mandalorian and winged it. <laughs> Bearing in mind, even with the prep, even with the prep, you could call this episode partial recall. Wonderful. Well, listen, um, I've really enjoyed that chat. It's been nice to sort of just go a little bit off piste and talk about some things that we don't normally talk about. It's been vaguely Halloween-y to talk about Star Wars monsters and creatures. Yeah, hopefully everyone's got a little bit of something out of that. And hopefully the listeners, if you can think of any random characters with an animal's head, drop us, drop us a line, especially on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram just by searching generation skywalker of course go over to youtube you'll find some unboxing videos enhanced versions of the shows again just search for generation skywalker you can email us at generation skywalker at gmail.com and of course go to the website www.generationskywalker.com where there's blogs and links to all of the shows and all of the videos of course you can find all our old podcasts um, going right back to the start on any podcast supplier and of course, we are now on Alexa. Just ask your Alexa to play Generation Skywalker podcasts. It was great fun. Can't wait for Mando. Hope you all have a great Halloween. But uh, but it is for this month. Goodbye from Mark Daniels. Good night. Good night from Craig. Good night. And Mark, thank you for joining us. And uh, good night, mate. It's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And uh, we are Generation Skywalker. Ha 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 